Hi there and thanks for joining us. Well, we have lots to discuss on this week's episode of Red Business. Lots of events have been cancelled, but one has survived. We will tell you about that. The takeover of one Cork company by another that brings together centuries of experience. And we speak to the man who is leading and we speak to the man who owns one of Cork's leading hotels. I'm Jonathan Healy and this is Red Business. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. Hotels have evolved really quickly to deal with the worst excesses of COVID-19, from having been completely shut down to reopening in a way that is safe, protecting both staff and guests. One hotel that's doing a great job of that at the moment is the Montanati, and I'm delighted to be joined now uh, by the proprietor and the MD of the Montanati Hotel, Frankie Wheelahan, a man who has been in the hotel industry, I'm sure, Frankie, for more years than you'd care to admit. Well, absolutely. I suppose um, you, when you go in at 17, um, you know, after coming out of a, 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 a background of a public house, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm certainly in a good 30 odd years now at this stage. And, yeah. and you, I'm going out on a limb here by saying you would never have envisaged or imagined a period where the entire industry would be shut down in the way it was and then have to do so much to reopen. How difficult has it been in the last few months? Um, so I suppose um, it, it's useful to have earned stripes in the past of uh, defining how difficult uh, the, the hotel business can be. And uh, we thought we'd uh, written the book on that particular one and then COVID-19 comes around. Um, I suppose, like most of the hotel sector and indeed the broader economy, January and February of 2020 were absolutely cracking months. Really, really um Great business, um, great investment happening around the place. And literally, as we all know, overnight, you're taking a property that's going at 90 miles an hour with 147 full-time staff, and you're literally turning around and lights out. And you're saying, okay, when you know, and if you'll remember, this was all meant to be for a week or 10 days, and don't you know everything would get back to normal. And then suddenly we're going from month to month to month to month. And you know, there, there were very significant uh, uh, assistance packages put in place, uh, particularly on the wage subsidy level uh, by the government. Um, but that's only one part of your 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 expense um, uh, field. You know, you've insurance, you've uh, utilities, you you've all of these, um, you know, expenses going out and literally financially it was where were you when the music stopped and did you have a chair? In other words, uh, you know, on the 12th of March, how much was in your account uh, because you're going to have to survive in that for the next four months. And it literally was as drastic as that. Uh, you had been enjoying a very good period, as has most hotels, but there was very few who could be steelied uh, for, for the onslaught that came. Did reopening ease the burden? Because you couldn't reopen fully in the way you might want to with all bells and whistles. You had to modify the hotel, etc. Did reopening make it easier, Frankie? Or was it a difficult decision to go when you did? We, we reopened on the 29th of June. So in other words, the first possible date that a hotel could open, we opened then. Um, and I think that decision was um, 
at the time and now in hindsight uh, the absolute correct one because it, it allowed us during the month it, it, July was a funny month the first half of July uh, both hotel operators and customers were very tentative everybody it was a very nervous situation there you had you know members of the team who you know were out of action for the last three to four months were suddenly back in action but in a very different way and, and social distancing and essentially all of the elements of um, what we regard as traits within hospitality um, were, were suddenly gone out the window. We weren't allowed to, 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 to shake hands. Our smile could not be seen because uh, we were wearing a mask, etc. Um, and it was really, really difficult. Uh, from a consumer point of view, there was a massive nervousness uh, of coming into what is we used to call them hotels. They're now referred to as enclosed environments. <laughs> um, and, 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 and that was a huge challenge. And looking back on it now, Jonathan, it was as if from a consumer point of view, the whole of the country was 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 angry, was was fed up and angry. And that then presents itself with all sorts of challenges uh, from a service perspective. Thankfully, that has eased out. Um, we've had a really, really good July and, and August is looking um, very, very promising. Um, you know, now September is it, you know, I don't think people have thought about September yet because we're very much into the uh, staycation market at the moment. And depending on what type of hotel you had, there are certainly, you know, event hotels that have had to pivot mm. into the home holiday market. And, 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 and has that stood you in good stead, Frankie? The fact that you didn't have that big event space, that you didn't have to pack yeah. it out with conferences and so on, and that, that the, the bums in beds, if I can call it that way, was always your bread yeah. and butter. Yeah, well, thankfully, um, we made a decision, Johnson, about um, about four years ago, um, that the direction we're taking the Montanati um, was as a destination hotel, and by that I mean, you know, the the, the, the first statement of intent was closing a busy function room uh, and saying, actually, that's not our model. If we are going to be true to ourselves and look after the individual, let it be couple, let it be corporate, let it be, you know, um, a, a small party of six or eight people to have a really, really special time. And um, then we need to get away from that volume business. So we 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 we, we kind of made a series of investments. Uh, we opened our in-house cinema. It's a 50-seater cameo cinema. We we spent a lot of money and in investment on our grounds. So beautiful Victorian gardens there, etc. Um, and even in the last uh, number of months, we've uh, when we opened and we we took a brave decision, uh, you know, because we, you're not entirely sure when you are actually going to open, and therefore you're not entirely sure when the money will start coming in again. Um, but we continued our onward march in the Montanati to, to really underpin our credentials as, you know, a, 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 a fine four-star destination hotel that will be sought out, not just in Cork, not just in Munster, but in from an Irish point of view and from a UK point of view coming to Ireland. I think that's really important. So we, we, we've just completed a, a major upgrade in our uh, Panorama Terrace. Uh, we're really proud of it. I think it's something quite special and I'm not sure whether I prefer during the day or the night time, uh, because they're two totally different atmospheres on the terrace. Um, and then in addition to that, we've also uh, completely uh, re-imaged our um, leisure centre uh, changing rooms uh, to bring it to the same level as our recently opened spa. So continual investment. We're very sure of where we want to get to. This is um, all based on found sound business principles. This is not... Mm. 
you know, and there's, uh, in, in, in my opinion, three types of hotel owners. Uh, there are corporate owners who own a series of hotels. There are owners who own hotels for egos. And then there's the rest of us who actually um, <laughs> have to make sure that every investment that we put into the hotel makes a return. I, I, I'm not, and, I'm not uh, going to ask you to name any hotel owners who treat them as egos. We're going to leave that one parked where it is for fear of us getting into trouble. In <laughs> Frankie, um, we, we are in an uncertain situation right now. We don't know when this is going to end. Best case scenario, starting next year, we're going to see an easing of this COVID crisis and a return to normality. But there's no guarantee that's going to happen. How are we going to get from now to then, do you think? We know the stimulus package is coming. You're going to get a, a few yeah. bob back, a tax back from your restaurant and your hotel bills. Is it going to make a difference, do you think? Okay, so um, I'm not going to. F- so that that is the measure that is probably taking most limelight, and in my opinion, it's it's structured in a very convoluted way that actually takes a lot of the attractiveness away from it when people look into it. So I'm going to park that particular one. I think the more meaningful measures are the uh, commercial rates waiver, because that is a here and now bill you do not have to pay. Number one, but number two, and probably the most um, uh, meaningful uh, assistance we're getting is the wage subsidy payment. Um, for, for July and August, it's been very helpful, but it also means that coming into September, as we, we, we come out of our staycation um, months, um, that I'm sitting as an employer uh, with um, confidence that I can hold the vast majority of my team together. So uh, having an in fairness to revenue, um, they're very, very efficient um, with giving that money refund back to us. We all know they're very efficient at taking it from us, but they're equally efficient at giving it back to us under this scheme. So I think that will be vital to keeping a lot of operations running as they are now into the next six months. Now, so from an assistance point of view, that's very helpful. You then have to look at where is the market going to be? It's not going to be conference. It's not going to be event, maybe in a a minor way. So it's the home holiday. So we are all now focusing on um, the domestic corporate trade, which we're even seeing in July and August in the Montanati that there is a requirement for corporate trade and they're, and they're there. And, you know, the important ones from a corp point of view, the Apples, the EMCs, the VMwares, etc., they're all traveling again, which is really, really encouraging. Um, after that, I think that there will be a pent up demand of the slightly older market where they're going to let the mums and dads and the three kids wash through the hotels in January or July and August rather and they're going to start coming out to play in September October onwards so I'm not as downbeat um, as potentially one could be um, I'm I'm really enthused as to you know a you know there, there is a solid business July and August so everybody's had allow, allowed a chance to refill their financial tanks uh, during that period of time uh, with the, the assistance from September through to March, I think once you pivot your business into fish where the fish are, where the markets are, uh, then I think we'll be okay. Uh, finally, Frankie, uh, obviously Cork uh, has done well, staycation-wise, lots of people coming here. Um, are, were we for once in the right place? Obviously, everyone always talks about Dublin drawing all the attention with the inbound tourists. Um, but it seems that Dublin hotels struggled more than the ones here in the south or indeed in the west. 
Yeah, well, we can, we can, we, I can give you a very objective opinion on that. Obviously, we have our own property, uh, the Wilder, um, in uh, Dublin city centre. And Dublin certainly is, there's no other word for it. It's on its knees at the moment. I think from a Cork point of view, there's the very obvious, uh, you know, element that Cork has always been very, very popular with the domestic market, with the Irish market, the staycationers. Now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now going to get a slight bit technical in the fact that Cork City had a very good January, February. The uh, the amount of wage subsidy that you could claim for July and August was based on your payroll for January, February. So it was a double benefit of having a good start of the year. It allowed you to retain an awful lot of your staff in July and August on that subsidy based on a successful start of the year. So the stars aligned for Cork City, uh, certainly for the summer period. And I think, you know, when you see news like 12 streets being converted into pedestrianized zones, etc. You know, you feel that you're part of a coordinated team with City Hall, with the operators themselves, etc. So that isolation that's felt in the rest of the country, etc. I don't think we have it in Cork. And I'm really, really optimistic about what's coming forward. Frankie, let's hope that optimism can be realised. Congratulations to the full team at the Montanati. The hotel is indeed looking great. And uh, it's lovely to be able to go back there and enjoy that terrace and look out on the fine city that we have uh, in these challenging times. Frankie Whelan, uh, proprietor of the Montanati Hotel. Thanks for joining us on Red Business. Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork. Two of Cork's oldest companies merged in recent days. It's a pretty big story in their world and indeed in the wider retail world. Uh, to talk us through it, we've got the purchasing director of MNP O'Sullivan, Patrick O'Sullivan. Patrick, how are you? Very good, thanks. Very good. Good to have you. Your company, first of all, I suppose you are behind some very famous brands like Gala and Homestead and White Hat and Red Abbey. So people will be familiar with you guys. And this new... Uh, takeover involves a company called Brennan's Cater World. So tell us a little bit about both and why it makes sense to join up. Well, I suppose our sales in Pilsulvan were a food service distributor um, and we also supply the Gala retail franchise um, in the south. So we supply, I suppose, half of our business is food services. I said, so that would be restaurants, cafes, takeaways. Um, Brennan's then is a a food service business as well in that it supplies tabletop equipment so you've got you're talking about kitchens you're talking about cutlery and ware and pots and pans and knives and all that type of stuff so as part of our business i suppose we've been we're supplying kitchens and i with the food service business so this is just i suppose an, an obvious add-on in one way it um we were already we were already stocking a lot of brennan's lines so we had over 400 lines in stock already um they're only up the road for us. We traded very well, but then we have a good relationship. So for us, it was um, a, a, an obvious add-on to our business that we'd looked at doing before. Mm. Uh, now, th- the challenge for you guys is that one side of the business, which would have been the retail side, was probably flying it through all of this, like all re- retail yeah. was and grocery yeah. retail. And then the other side, which is the food service business, was on its knees. So I, I suppose, you know, buying another food service business when your own food service was struggling was a bit of a risk, was it not? Uh, of, of course it was. We, we don't see it that way. Um, we think things are going to bounce back in what shape or form. We're not sure. But I suppose if we weren't certain about it, we wouldn't have gone for this. But um, our food service business did stop nearly immediately when this COVID shutdown happened. But maybe not as much as other people's we do supply still a lot of the takeaway business that would be very strong for us and that generally didn't stop um and even in the last 
three or four weeks, the response of food service has been incredible. Um, particularly in Cork, um, it's bouncing back very, very quickly and we're seeing great numbers come in. And did you think it's a bounce back quicker than you would have expected? Massively so, massively so, yes. Even from a purchasing side, I'm just seeing a lot of lines that I didn't expect to be selling so quickly are absolutely flying off the shelf. Um, I still can't get my head around it. I said maybe it's a cork thing. This out- outdoor dining has definitely worked worked very well. Um, it seems to be drawing people into the city. Um, but even the city and surrounding areas, it's it's doing very well. Um, when you look to the future now, what what does it mean having the two brands under the one roof? What potential have you got for expansion? Because you are a national business, but I suppose yeah. you're you were you were Cork and Munster heavy. Are you, have you got your eyes set further afield? Yes, well, we're already going in. We're going as far as Wexford, and we're going up as far as nearly Sligo, I suppose, up the west coast. Um, we do have our eyes on the bigger picture nationally. We do supply other people that around the country. Um, maybe not as regularly as two or three times a week delivery drops, which we do with everyone else. But um, it's it's definitely on, on the cards, yes. Um, and an expansion like this will definitely help with that because um, there's not too many companies out there who are doing such an expansive range. I said we already have good 9,000 lines in stock. That would be ambient and between ambient, chill, frozen food. Um, we have a lot. Of, we have a big, good 1,000, 2,000 packaging lines. And this will dovetail and give us an extra 5,000 lines that will, I suppose, apply to restaurants and cafes and takeaways and anybody really. So there's knives and cutlery ware and pots, pans, everything that they could need. So we are kind of becoming a the real one-stop shop for, for everybody. Yeah, which is where you need to be. Uh, I, you, you can't predict the future with any certainty at the moment, but uh, how concerned are you that there might be another speed break or handbrake turn at some stage in the next couple of months that might impact the business again. I mean, you, you say things are coming back and coming back strong, but are you worried that they might slow down again? Uh, look, it's always a concern you'd have, but uh, from my perspective, I don't think it's going to stop. If anything happens, I don't think it's going to shut down to the extent it was already. Um, and I think we've shown ourselves that we can battle through anything. Um, the say of the Prussian teams here did an amazing job during the shutdown of sourcing products that was selling, getting it out into trade. Um, and I suppose I know that we could do that again if needed be, but I still I still think people are being very positive out there. People want to get back out and purchase and spend and go into restaurants and pubs and bars and cafes and shops. Um, I just, I look, we're very positive, we're very optimistic anyway about what's going to happen. Mm, absolutely and, and fingers crossed it will happen you were always a big family company and I would have known James O'Sullivan very well uh, yeah. who was of course a director of M&P O'Sullivan is that family element of the business is that as important as it ever is because you're what you're, you're, you're third generation in now aren't you we're actually fourth we're fourth generation um, so does myself I said I'm the personal director own the sales director and my father is still here kind of as more of an advisory role um, but he's still very important Um well, you have to say that anyway, in case he's listening. He's very important <laughs> anyway, but he's still very important to the business. Of course, of course. But you know, that knowledge that he's built up over his 40 years plus in business, is uh, that's just, it's invaluable. So um, it is definitely a great sounding board to have. But I suppose the benefit of our company is that people are dealing with myself and Owen. We can make decisions extremely quickly compared to other people. Um, we are, I suppose, you know, we have a good name in the trade and we, we kind of like to keep that. And I suppose, I suppose that is the element of it. We can make decisions very quickly um, and we're very close to our suppliers. We're very close to our customers. And that's just something that we want to continue with. 
Well, 15,000 products in the range, that's not to be sniffed at either and a growing business even in these uncertain times. Let's celebrate when we can celebrate the wins. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Patrick O'Sullivan, the Purchasing Director of M&P O'Sullivan. And we wish you continued success from everyone here at Red Business. Thanks, Anton. The only show in town for Cork Business, Red Business. Now, as we know, COVID-19 has put paid to most events that had been planned so far this summer. But the intrepid people at Cork Craft Month have decided it's not for them. They're going ahead, albeit in a very different form. To tell me all about it, we have the chair of the board of Cork Craft Month, who is a ceramicist, which is a very hard word to say at the best of times. Bernadette Tweet, you're very welcome to Red Business. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It's lovely to be here. Tell me a little bit about what Cork Craft Month is and I suppose how it was being impacted by COVID-19. Well, we come under, Cork Craft Month comes under the umbrella group that is Cork Craft and Design. And Cork Craft Month is one of many events that we organise under the umbrella of Cork Craft and Design. But this particular one happens through the month of August. And as you said, under duress of COVID-19, we decided we would crack on and just launch Craft Month. But Cork Craft and Design is the umbrella group for over 100 professional craft makers here in located in Cork City and County. And what we do is we provide a community, we provide a retail space and support for these 100 micro businesses that are scattered around the city and the county. Okay, so there's a lot of them out there, all very creative and brilliant people. Yes, you can't really show off your wares because you can't have many big events. So what are you doing instead? Well, we, with kind sponsors of our local enterprise office, they backed us completely to have Craft Month. So what we are doing is we have actually over 70 events and a few of those are actually physical events in the form of workshops and exhibitions, but most of them will be virtual events. Uh, These are coming, are going to be Uh, broadcast on uh, makers own social media sites but again under the corkcraftanddesign.com website also and we will have studio tours talks demonstrations insights into the life of craft makers and then we have a few physical events um in the space of exhibitions one is in west cork in bally de hob called that's our main showcase exhibition so don't miss that folks and then we have another one which i uh, feel very attached to which is our emerge exhibition which offers opportunities for graduating students to have an exhibition and we include the three main uh, colleges in the city crawford college of art and design st john's and kolosh de stefan nefa so those are two of the exhibitions and I don't want to name them all for you, Jonathan, because there's a lot <laughs> going on and we could be here well, all look, day. We've, we, There's an entire website, corkcraftanddesign.com, and they're all exactly. listed on that, right? Yeah. Uh, I'd imagine for those people who are creating craft and creating art, COVID-19, if nothing else, provided them with a little more time, a little more inspiration uh, to keep going. And, and yeah. as a result, there is no shortage of things to feature this August. You just have to do it differently. Precisely, yes. And that's been a rather a large leap for us because not all of us are media savvy. Certainly most of us don't really like video in terms of seeing ourselves up on the big screen there. That's, <laughs> it's a, that can be a bit dodgy some days. 
Um, so we really had to relearn and train our makers. We offered a maker's playbook um, as a mechanism to help them get comfortable with social media. And yes, we're, we're on there, we're doing it. Most of us are focusing our hands and the work rather than our gorgeous profiles, but the, the features are on there. So every day of the month of August, there on some days there are actually two makers and they're going to be on there for a number of minutes showing themselves, their work, their studio, and, and basically telling a really, really interesting craft story. Okay, it's it's fabulous stuff. I mean, I know of one man whose work is featuring Brendan Ryan, who is, oh, who is a friend of ours, who is a ceramicist as well. Oh, and he, he, uh, he yeah. makes wonderful things, wonderful little houses that are so hard. It's hard to describe them, but they're incredible. Um, you want to climb into them, though, don't you? And I mean, they're traditional, <laughs> and they're inviting, they're super, yeah. Yeah, they really are, and and they're they're a fabulous addition, and and that's one of the things that'll be fi- fi- focused on and featured. Now, Bernadette, I, you are a ceramicist, but you were a boat captain previously. That's quite oh, yeah. a career leap, if you don't mind me saying. Oh yeah, I know it's crazy, isn't it? But um, I uh, there was emigration involved in that, Jonathan. In that, I did that in California, and um, I knew I needed to return home. I wanted to return home, and I didn't fancy uh, driving boats around the North Atlantic, uh, quite frankly. So I retrained, <laughs> and um, whatever about being on the Pacific, which was challenging enough, the North Atlantic was a no-no. And um, anyway, I, I was very privileged to be able to retrain and go to college for a number of years I had done ceramics as a night class previously and like all craft makers fell in love with the material and really wanted to keep going with that. So I knew I I was coming home to be caregiver to my ailing parents and I set up in my backyard and thankfully I was able to go on with formal education and now I'm running my own business. So, but the love of the sea and my affinity with it comes through in my work now. So my work is all about Cork and Cork coastal areas and and my explorations there by sea. And you 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 include little bits of the coastline in in some of your work as well. So there's a, there's a real I suppose there's a salty feel to it because it contains a little bit of the coast. <laughs> yes, well, uh, salt being the, the kind of the enemy of clay as are shells because um, once you fire the shells, the calcium. Uh, it turns to calcium, but it actually reabsorbs the water and creates cracks. So I found all this out the hard way, Jonathan. <laughs> I um, I do, I use the uh, found materials, as I call them. I use found materials to both help me shape and put texture on the work. And then I would include maybe uh, calcified sand and other found items in the rims of the work, because that's uh, that's the safest way to do it. But yes, I'm trying to link people like physically with the work and then conceptually to a place and you know with with the intention of highlighting sustainability and good care of our stewardship of our environment you know Mm. I I come from that place with it all. Well waste not uh, as they say uh, and include everything as you can. Did you think when you started doing it you were going to be able to turn a living from it because anyone who embarks on a career in the arts that normally your friends and family look at you as if you've got six heads Uh, but but you have forged a business out of it and, and, and it is doing well. Thank you. Yes, it is. I am very grateful and very chuffed uh, to be making a living from it, uh, to have the privilege of talking to 
someone as yourself about my work and about what we're trying to do here. But, you know, there are hundreds of makers like myself around Cork, and these are micro businesses and they're professional people. And it's an industry that has great economic potential there. So, yes, it, I and others do make a living from it. But, you know, we need local support and we need people to shop local. It, it really all depends on our our local folks to promote us and that's how we can grow but yeah it is what, possible to do it it's hard work like all running any business it's it's tough absolutely but the rewards are there and they're plentiful particularly when you're doing what you love uh, to be fair to you all um you're doing something that it would have been very easy to throw your hat at it this year but you have persevered and you have created something even more special the website with all the details on it corkcraftanddesign.com Bernadette Tweet, uh, thank you so much for joining us and the very best of luck uh, with Cork Craft Month. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And please check in yourself if you're in the area. Come to Valley de Hob or in the city. There's lots going on and uh, we love people to participate. It's all about the stories of our craft people and uh, about our local people checking in with us also. So thank you, Jonathan. My thanks, as always, to all of my guests. Don't forget you can download every episode of Red Business from redextra.ie. Neil Hennessy produced, and we will catch you on the next one. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast.